become a patron of Entertainment Landfill. Go to patreon.com slash landfill for details. Entertainment Landfill is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Thank you. My goodness, can you believe it? Can it be true? Am I imagining things or are the Mulberry Boys back for an all new episode of Entertainment Landfill News? I'm not sure I can believe what my optical circuits are telling me but we'll see. Welcome to another exciting episode of Entertainment Landfill News. I am your host, The Jaystrom, if you can remember. And I don't do the show alone. I do it with Stephen the Pop Culture Zealot. What's happening? Hello, Stephen. Hello, sir. It is so good to see you, Stephen. It's, it's been, been a while. A- yes, sir. Uh, I was telling you, like, okay, what? wait, what? what's the next step do I do? I'm trying to remember <laughs> how to pilot the ship, like... Uh, how to, uh, you know, uh, okay, I, I hit well, play. Like somebody I hit, hit you on the head and you get amnesia and forgot how to run it. You would not believe how many times I've done this show where I go, oh, shit, I got to hit record. But I've never done this where we're like, okay, well, let's get into the news. Oh, wait, I haven't been recording this whole time. <laughs> Luckily, that's never happened because I you, you'll you even see me sometimes. I'll check the recorder. Okay, got to make sure it's still recording. But, Stephen, uh, it's so good to hear from you and see you. It's nice to be here. Been and uh, the past few weeks or so. I'm trying to think that... Um, well, your daughter had a play two weeks ago. My daughter was doing a play, a one-act play, and she was staying late like every multiple days a week, including Fridays. So I would usually pick her up around right now. Yeah, so she was busy every Friday and I'd have to pick her up. So I was like, I can't really do a show and leave right in the middle of it to pick him up. And then um, 
I don't know. Easy to do a Saturday show, but I didn't expect <laughs> that we wouldn't do a show for all of January. And here's another. Well, thing. well you got the you got the 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 New Year's. Everybody's busy. You're you're mm-hmm. fixed cleaning up after Christmas. So I figured that we at least do a show in January sometime. But because my daughter was rehearsing, uh, it was just impossible. But now that's over, and I was like, okay, we can finally do a show. But then, and I was off that whole week. Right after things, after, after uh, the New Year's, and we could have done a show during the middle of the week. It didn't have to be. There were some. I there were some batteries that needed to be re- recharged too. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't want to uh, to be dishonest. I needed to recharge some batteries, and part of the recharging of batteries was I did some Chuck episodes. I did like three uh-huh. Chuck episodes because I can just record that during the week sometime. And then spend a couple of days editing it. Edit them at your leisure. The thing that's great about the Chuck Series Companion podcast is I can record it uh, like, you know, I'm alone for a couple hours. Okay. It usually takes me about two hours to record a Chuck Series Companion. And then I spend like two to three days editing it and adding music and all that stuff. And it's a project that keeps me busy. It's like a little... uh, and uh, after every episode, when I'm finished it, then I have my Chuck blog where I do like a little recap of the episode and talk about different mm-hmm. things about it that I like. And then I post it all, put the blog out, everything all at the same time, and I'm done. And I'm like, oh, I just kind of did this uh, thing that kept me busy, and I was really interested in it. And now, what do I do now? And then I get kind of bummed out. And th- this has been through the history of like all of Nowhere and Mulberry till now, as I uh, have always been like this, where I'm like excited, I'm working on something, I'm keeping busy, and then I put it out, and you know it's it's finished, and there you go, everybody. And then I'm just like, okay, now what do I do? And I, the Chuck Series Companion, is great for me to be like, okay, I can do another episode, and that's what I did. I did three episodes. What happens when you run out? Like right away. <gasps> I've still got quite a few. There's 91 episodes that I did, like the 37th or something. I've got quite a few. I'm in season three right now. Three episodes into season three. There's season four and season five. So there's quite a bit to do. But um, then I can get burned out also. These are the the different stages of Jason. Super interested, keeping busy. what happened um, when you wanted me to watch them all? And I burned through the first two seasons pretty quickly and gave me the third one, and I sat on it. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, hey, I'm ready to do my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Hey, do, <laughs> like, do you still have that, by the way? But it's funny because I just look at the way – I've tried to understand the way my production operates. Like, you'll see – like, even last year, I can look. There was a time where I was, like, super excited about shows. Like, oh, Steven, let's do a movie react to this movie. We'll do mm-hmm. that. We'll do trailer reaction. We'll do, hey, let's do a Star Wars episode. Hey, uh, uh, we got the E3 shows. And I'm, like, very productive. And then this kind of depression sets in where I'm, like, well, see, I when, can't do it anymore. When The Last Jedi came out and, mm-hmm. uh, and I was, like, do you want to do a show? You go, we haven't seen the show. I was, like. Okay, maybe I didn't present myself correctly. It's like, you want to do a pre-show and kind of gear up for it. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, let's just, we'll wait till later. I'm like, okay, I'm not even going to suggest yeah. anything. There will be a certain... Because maybe you had something in mind and you didn't want to... There will be a Friday where I... Okay, we talk about back in the day of Entertainment Landfall or Nowhere on Mulberry or whatever. 
Every Friday, I wanted to do a show. I was itching to do a show. I was ready to work on a show. I would, you know, put my digital recorder, hook it up to my surround receiver in my living room, and I'd copy drops. I'd, I'd uh, go. I'd go on my DVR and find Hell's Kitchen, you know, Kitchen Nightmares, uh, Top Chef, you know, Entourage, whatever. I'd go, okay, I remember this scene. This is the scene I want. And I'd hit play and I'd be recording the whole time. Then I'd have like this hour-long recording on my digital recorder, hook up to my computer, put it in the editing software and start clipping out Top Chef, all the shows. Then I would go back and listen to them. I'd make the clip that we'd play on the show, but then I would also be like, okay, Listen to the clip. Oh, there's a good drop there. There's a good drop. Make a shitload of drops for each show. Okay. Then I'd be like, okay, I got to have an intro now. And I would be, uh, okay, what's a, oh, you know what? Mr. Mom was on this week. That was funny. Oh, oh, I know the scene I'm going to use. It would be like that. Like I would always have like some kind of inspiration during the week of something I saw, or it'd be a funny scene in a sitcom or uh, some piece of music. I would always buy my feelers were out. You know, I had my radar up. I was always trying to catch something that I could put in the show. And I went on like that for years. Like I could not watch TV without going, Oh, there's a clip. There's a clip. There's a drop. I was always like that. And so it's so weird that now my, uh, radar like that, I almost think it's kind of sad that now I watch shows and I'm like, like I'm watching top chef this season uh-huh. and i'm just like oh that would have been that would have been a good drop right there and i'm just kind of sad because <laughs> and actually this week i was like you know what screw it i'm gonna make a top chef clip i'm gonna do this because i gotta do this you know and i'm gonna make a few drops out of this i just wanted to do it for old time's sake and uh you know a lot of it has to do with you know bill's not here either most of the time and that was always kind of fun to play off bill you and I playing off Bill, playing clips or whatever. And so it's different. I'm trying to find a different gear, a different uh, formula, is it as it were. Right, right. And I'm still yeah. working that. Hopefully you're, it's still... We're used to the three-person dynamic. Hopefully it's still interesting to the listener. I want it to be. Uh, but I'm just trying to find my way right now. I want... Uh, I haven't quite found the formula. I enjoy doing entertainment landfill news. It's not the same as the old thing. And like I said, uh, <laughs> Adam Sexton, basically Bill's absence ruined everything. <laughs> you said it. I did it. But it's did like it ruin everything. It's I'm a, not going to go there. But <laughs> well, it's the same thing I said with the Chuck series companion. I find something that I'm interested in that I get obsessive about that I work hard on and it keeps my head down. And I keep busy on the grindstone and then I put it out and it's like this, okay, I'm done. This is my work. Do you guys like this or whatever? And then this kind of depression sets in and I think it's a, it's a real thing. You know, I, I believe I suffer from depression or a kind of depression. I can make myself quite miserable and I do it from time to time. So there's another thing that happens is when I haven't done the show for a long time, I long to do it again. Like I've got to do the show. Like Steven, I haven't seen you in weeks. Have I? So what did we do last? So we go to a movie. I don't remember. Did we see a movie? Uh, what was that? Last Jedi. I think is the last movie. Is that I've the seen. last thing we did? I think so. Oh. 
The Last Jedi was the last movie I've seen, isn't it? No, no, no. I've seen Jumanji. We saw Jumanji. Jumanji, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You, me, and Emma saw Jumanji. Yeah, I knew we did something after Jedi. Yeah, and I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, And uh, speaking of Star Wars, we have a lot of Star Wars to talk about. It's funny. You know, I I read all the time like, oh God, Star Wars burning. I'm getting sick of this. It's like I'm not getting sick of Star you're Wars. People bitched about not having enough, and now you're bitching <laughs> about having too much. I'm not sick of Star Wars in the least. I'm sick of people bitching about Star Wars. That's what I'm sick of. I say okay. I every two years you get a movie, a trilogy movie. You get one every other year. You'll get. <clears throat> A non-trilogy movie, you know. Like. <laughs> that damn dog. <laughs> okay, uh, Adam, where's our Jumanji reaction episode? Okay, um, Jumanji. Well, what was it called? Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, right? Yes, Welcome to the Jungle. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was uh, silly. They gave away too many funny parts in the trailer. Right. Uh, the part where uh, Kevin Hart, you know, its weakness is cake. Yeah. That would have been the funniest moment in the movie, and everyone would have laughed, but they ruined it in the trailer, and it was silent when it happened. Because everyone's like, seen it! Seen it a I've million been, times. I heard some lady go, seen it! <laughs> no, that didn't really happen. But anyway... <laughs> I have a couple of voicemails I want to get to right away, Stephen. Was that the reaction? That was it? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's a heartfelt, hell's a poppin' good time. How's that? We liked it, and they gave away too much in the trailer. Done. Done. Go see it. There's your reaction, Adam. And it's made quite a a bit of money, and I honestly think there will be a uh, sequel of some kind. I think what would be fun is if... Uh, something like they try uh, in the movie. Something happens to the Jumanji game, but I think would be interesting if they did it where uh, Jumanji kind of took over, not just a small group of people, but the entire town where everybody was kind of sucked into this. Uh... And here's another thing about what I thought was neat about Jumanji because it's a video game this time. Yeah, and. I don't know about you, but I would keep playing Jumanji. Like, oh, man, that was awesome. Hey, let's go again. Maybe we could do better next time. <laughs> and you would keep playing Jumanji till you became awesome at it. And you would be a total badass like this reality, like the Matrix or something. I don't know. I was just thinking of like, hmm, Jumanji fan fiction. Here we go. And let me. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. That would never happen. Yeah. Jumanji PUBG. Good idea, Adam. Now, I have a couple of voicemails, and the reason why I play them now is because they're all about The Last Jedi, and Last Jedi, that's old hat, right? That's that's a long time ago. I we almost w- went and saw it again this week. I thought about it. You almost did? or you, almost did. How many times have you seen The Last Jedi? Oh, uh, four times, I think. Really? Wow. I've, I saw it twice, and you saw it four times. Wow. I believe I have, yeah. So you really enjoyed the movie. You're not one of those people who are like, hated I, it. Yeah. I, Worst Star Wars ever. Yeah, I did a couple of Sundays where I just went by myself and nice. I'm uh, that's cool. That's awesome. And uh, I genuinely enjoyed the Last Jedi. And uh, what's funny? What's so funny about that is there was a, a lot of negative reaction to the movie, 
But we did our reaction so quick, you, Bill, and I, yeah. that we didn't. Our heads weren't filled with negative reaction. We don't really defend the film at all. We just say, "Oh, I really like this part. This part was awesome." Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any of that negative reaction in our way. You know, sometimes when we hear about negative stuff about a movie and we liked it, we kind of defend it a little. Yeah. So there wasn't really much of that in our show. Right. And then it was after we did our show and we put that out. And then I read people talking about stuff like uh too much humor in it too much joking around too many jokes and stuff and i'm like what just stuff i don't get but people like to bitch about things i don't even care about their opinion anyway but steven <laughs> so anyways on to the voicemail. voicemail but first before we play a voicemail let's check out our voicemail intro And now it's time to hear some voicemail. Yes, thank you very much. Man, such a build-up there, isn't it? All right, our first voicemail is, you know what? They're boy- one of them's labeled Last Jedi voicemail, and the other one's labeled TLGA voicemail. So it's either one of two people. One is Adam Howard, Adam from the Bay Area, and the other is Ken Proventure. So let's see which one this is, because uh, I don't know. Well, hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. That this would is be Ken. Ken. calling, and I just thought I would call in with my thoughts about The Last Jedi, which I just saw yesterday, and I just listened to the vo- the special episode about The Last Jedi, and I really appreciate you guys' uh, opinions about it, and uh, I thought I would give my own. I like this movie more than the force awakens i like this you know this was uh this was more engrossing i really felt the threat of the first order and i really felt that the heroes they were in a desperate spot that required sacrifice like uh, just like in rogue one but i think a little better than rogue one too actually i think this i think this movie did a great job of uh setting up the obstacles and i also like the uh, Kylo Ren and Rey relationship, I think that has gotten a little deeper, and I'm actually looking forward to seeing how that goes. And Rey, I, I'm I'm liking her more now. I think um, I think her purity, uh, her purity of motive, and her her kind of uh, selflessness, which is mixed with her amazing abilities, it's as if they combined Natalie Portman from. The, uh, from the prequel trilogy, like the, as if they combined the purity of Padme uh, with with the abilities of Luke Skywalker, at least in terms of how Kylo Ren sees her. And uh, you know, I st- I'm still not exactly sure who Rey is, and I'm not really sure if that's supposed to be a question or not. <laughs> you know, her, we have her parents. Uh, her parents, I guess, had lowly origins and. Uh, that seemed to be making a point about Rey and who she is and what the Force is. Although it's weird to hear, I think it was Yoda who said, or maybe it was Luke, who said that Rey knows everything that a Jedi could know. That's at least already in those those page-turner Jedi textbooks, the Jedi and which Rey saved. So I guess she doesn't know everything that's in those books. And... Uh, and but what even if she did? I mean, wouldn't that be kind of strange? What's the point of 
Jedi training if someone could just know it <laughs> uh, and doesn't need it. Anyway, but I liked following her now more than I did in, in Force Awakens, where it seemed like she was just the the running the running girl of, of, of doom for the Empire. She was gonna you know through her through her purity and her running she was gonna stop <laughs> she was gonna stop the first order. Um uh, I did have problems with the movie, but I didn't have the same problems that some of the crazy fans have been having with the movie. Uh, or, or, or maybe I do. I don't know. It seems like the fandom for this one, the fan reactions, which seems split uh, down the middle. It's really like two sides of the same nostalgia, uh, whether it's positive or negative. So, like everyone agrees that the old Star Wars is great. The old trilogy was great. And whether they like this new trilogy or not depends on how they like the way the new trilogy is different from the old or, or the way it's connected to the old. Um, I don't get caught up too much in that. For me, uh, that the Star Wars is, is something that meant something long ago in my youth that doesn't mean the same thing now. Uh, I don't need to go back and, and have the same experience I had when I was 12. Um, I like new things, uh, but everyone likes old things. So I understand why fans are upset. I understand why people are really upset by this. I know I have friends who are very mad at this movie. And I don't know what to say to them except, oh, well. Now, I did have problems with it. and But it had nothing to do with that, like what it was doing to my nostalgia. I, I didn't really, I was fine with it. Um, I do wish Luke and Leia had more scenes together. That was mm. that was something. I can see. I, I, I'm just contradicting myself now. I, I, said <laughs> I, I guess I do have nostalgia. I wanted to see those two interact a little more. It seemed like they just had one scene, and it was wasn't really that great. You know, um, maybe there was a point to that. There was We're not no supposed time. to be caught up in what the old the old folks are doing. You know, they they have to die off and. But I had problems with the new characters too. Small problems with the new ones. It's and it seemed like it seemed like it's like this new trilogy. They could use some of the characters they already have to do things that these new characters are doing. And by that I mean you have this character Admiral Holdo played by Wara Dern, and uh, she makes a decision at the end of the movie that I felt Leia could have made just as just as logically. Why couldn't Leia be the one to make the decision Admiral Holdo made? I mean, Admiral Holdo, the only reason she's in the movie is to make that decision. And then we have this new, ca- new character, DJ, played by Benicio Del Toro, who becomes like a kind of a, you know, a Lando Calrissian kind of character. And I thought, why couldn't uh, Finn do the same thing? Why, or at least, why couldn't Finn do at least some of the things that DJ does? It seems like Finn is just along for the ride. I think DJ and represented, DJ, you know, has what this deal Finn with could become uh, with the first order. By not but choosing a side, you know, Finn could have had a deal with the first order and turned in some way, or had shades of evil in him. I mean, you have you have this guy Snoke who seems to control what Ray and Kylo Ren are thinking. Why can't he control what Finn is thinking and manipulate him into betraying uh, the rebellion? I don't know. That would have made Finn a little more interesting. Um, but it's this sort of multiplication of characters and subplots, and it, it, it it's really not necessary, and it makes the movie seem really long. 
I know Bill, uh, you, I know Bill and Jason and and Stephen didn't have a problem with the length, but, but man, after Admiral Holdo does that hyperspace stunt, I admit I looked at my watch and I thought, oh boy, we have another half hour. Okay. <laughs> On the other hand. <laughs> Uh, even though thought, the oh climax, boy, we have another I thought, half hour. I know the a half longer hour the better. Too late. The climax had my favorite detail of this movie, which is whoever came up with the idea of making the tarmac of this base uh, at the end of the movie red salt is an absolute genius because it just created this beautiful effect at the end of the movie uh, during the battle scene. It just when the when these um, these these land speeders are scraping along the I thought that was floor, pretty cool uh, too. along the floor of the tarmac and and um, and the lasers are are blowing it out. It's like you you see these curlicues of and puffs of red that are created that are just beautiful. I thought uh, I just love that effect. And then the, speaking of red, you had like the red background in Snokes's throne room. I thought that was a wonderful just stark red backdrop um these are small things but for me that's what i'm that's what i'm taking at this point from from this new trilogy the 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 little things mean a lot (laughs) will things like that like in space when the rebel cruiser has its shield up and is trying to escape the star destroyer and the star destroyer is hitting it with a cannon the sound effect that that cannon makes against that shield that that kind of I don't know I can't describe it (laughs) this wonderful sound effect Uh, I just love the sound of Star Wars probably more than anything else Um, or with Rogue One with Rogue One I didn't care much for the movie but I love the music Uh, the soundtrack for Rogue One it's on Amazon Prime Music right now and it's just fantastic that's yeah. uh, Michael Giacchino. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Did that score for Rogue One, and he actually replaced Alexander Desplat, uh, who had done the who had done the score for Rogue One. But then, because of all the reshoots, Desplat wasn't available. So they got uh, Michael Giacchino, and it's just brilliant. Uh, and by the way, did you see the recent interview with Ridley Scott, where oh, no. they ask him about? the reshoots of his new movie all the money in the world and he's commenting about the reshoots of star wars and how they were a how they were a total waste of money he said literally millions of dollars were were wasted with those reshoots because you could have just hired somebody uh to do the job right the first time (laughs) Uh, yeah good old ridley scott always you know he's always uh, got his always uh always standing up for himself Against, against the young, uh, the young naive, low-budget filmmakers who think they can play around with 180 million dollars. Um, well, okay, I think I've gone on long enough. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone! And oh, Bill, I can't believe is in Brooklyn. That's wonderful. I mean, it's probably very cold there right now, but uh, that's, that's wonderful news. I think they just and Bill, have you been storm. to the Museum of the Moving Image yet? That's a fantastic museum. Speaking of Ridley Scott, it's got it's got the actual original model of the Tyrell building from Blade Runner in there Ooh. as part of the regular exhibit. And when uh when I was there last summer, 
they had a Jim Henson exhibit that was a lot of fun. But yeah, uh, maybe you've checked it out already. But yeah, the Museum of the Moving Image, just a terrific place in Brooklyn to visit. But uh, glad to hear you're on the East Coast. And for New Year plans for the podcast, I hope things uh, move along at a nice, steady pace. And oh, you know is it. it. <laughs> is it beyond the beyond to wish for a Ghostbusters 2 mini in the new year? Heck yeah. Is it too late to make a, a New Year's uh, resolution? Um, but apart from that, uh, I'm looking forward to the new year and all the new programming that's coming our way. And I hope you guys are, are doing well and enjoy the new year uh, as well. All right. Take it easy, everyone. Bye. Well, thank you very much, Ken, for your thoughts on The Last Jedi and all that other stuff. Very cool. Yeah, I heard the, the, the fight was between the old guard and the new guard of, of kids, or uh, kids who saw the original trilogy and kids who saw the prequels. prequels. <laughs> and I it's like, it was more spiritual, the Force, back then, and then it became medical. The problem with Star Wars, which I don't know if it's a problem, every. You know, a lot of people love Star Wars and they have for a long time. A lot of people are like Disney's ruined Star Wars. People, if you could just see them walking in and sitting down, imagine them with lots of baggage with them, like multiple <laughs> suitcase. They've got strapped onto their back, this, you know, mountain climbing gear. They've got all this, all their Star Wars baggage and they're like, uh, sitting it down with them as they're sitting down. And they're like, come on, give me the Star Wars movie. That I want now. The one I, that I dreamed up in my head that you'll never f- make. And Movies with Mikey is doing, he just did part one of how we watch Star Wars. And I thought it was very interesting is even as, way back when The Empire Strikes Back came out, people were pissed at Han and Leia being pushed together because people were already shipping Luke and Leia together. And they're like, no, 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 it should be Luke and Leia. Because they hadn't seen the third one yet. They're revealed that they're brother and sister. But it's funny, we bring baggage and we bring our own preconceived ideas of what we want to see. People want Rey to be something more than she is. They want Obi-Wan Kenobi to be her uncle. They well, want her to be... You still don't know who she is. They've only alluded to... And right. They, and they, you don't know that it's not a complete lie. Even when Darth Vader said, Luke, I am your father, people nope. are like, he's lying. He's Darth <laughs> Vader. He's not Luke's father. Everyone's going to see that in the next film. I'm right. You're wrong. And that's what happens. We just, we care about Star Wars. We love Star Wars. Uh, and people have, you know, I admit that days leading up to The Phantom Menace, I was picturing things in my head. Who's Darth Maul going to be? He's going to be this. And I had these ideas. And the scenes where Darth Maul shows up and he talks and he reveals himself never happens in that movie. <laughs> he barely says a word. Does Tatooine he is sparsely populated. Yeah. <laughs> he, ba- he says a f- like one line of dialogue in the whole film. He's nothing in the film. Just like Boba Fett. Everyone's pissed in Return of the Jedi when Boba Fett gets knocked in the Sarlacc pit. And they're like, what? He's going to be like this huge character. Come on. No, he's not. We have preconceived ideas. We always do about Star Wars. And I, more than any other Star Wars film, I think to date... 
Maybe it's my age or whatever. Maybe it's because The Force Awakens. I was so excited and went to see it. But The Last Jedi, I was like, okay, show me the movie. I'm ready. I know nothing about what's going on. Right. I don't. And I just watched it and I was like, dude, that was awesome. Okay, I liked it. Let's get up and leave. I didn't have, like, I want to see Luke. He's got, like, his green saber. He's deflecting bolts, and he's just a total badass. He's like Neo in the Matrix or whatever. I didn't have that in my head. So when it didn't happen, I wasn't like, ah, shit. Ryan Johnson, go F yourself. My, I, I, the only preconceived I thought notion I had would have been, uh, I thought, yeah, Luke is a hermit. He's gone on to be the Yoda. Yeah, yeah. He he doesn't need to prove he's a badass. Right. And that's the only thing I thought. A lot of people... Okay, here's another thing. And I had to wrestle with this with when Han Solo dies in The Force Awakens. And it's very silly, but for years there were lots of books. You know, Star Wars, Extended Universe books. Adventures of Han Solo, where he went on forever. And I was like, we'll never get to see that now because he killed his character. You can't write books of further adventures of Han Solo. There's a lot of in-between period times that they can do that. But it's funny. There's just little things that mean something to a lot of people. Luke Skywalker means something to a lot of people. So when you didn't get to see something that you've been wanting to see forever, that's disappointing. And I understand that. Now, does that make The Last Jedi a bad movie? I don't think so. I think you didn't get what you wanted, but there's still something there. But I, there's nothing you can do. If people are disappointed, they're disappointed, you know? Right. But I I just go back to uh, Boba Fett. <laughs> I was disappointed. I was like, oh, is that all Boba Fett's going to do? He gets hit in his jetpack and he goes ah and he crashes <laughs> and falls in he's a dumbass i mean he died like he's a buffoon he, he, he died like a buffoon <laughs> he's supposed to be a badass bounty hunter he gets hit in the jetpack and flies uncontrollably slams into the job of the hut thing and skiff and then he falls to his death in the sarlacc pit now of course you know you could say well jason actually in the expanded universe the sarlacc cannot digest his armor and spits him back out and i'm like okay that's fine but that's not in any movie i've seen that's in the expanded universe you know he's being digested i think that's fine you could do that but there could obviously be adventures of luke skywalker before this movie and what happens to him that you could have in a novel or something like that solo movie people wanted to see that but i'm gonna i'm just telling you right now we didn't get to see it and you know i think actually a lot of reactions right now of people after episode nine comes out and we see that i think after it's like become a thing, you're not all hopped up. You go back and watch episode eight and be like, eh, you know, it's not that bad. I guess it makes kind of sense after what happened in episode nine and all that stuff. Like, well, again, I mean, you could kind of go back, you know, he was the Ben Kenobi of, yeah, you can definitely see, uh, echoes he, he had of to die. the past. And uh, what's funny is we didn't even talk about this. We kind of, I think we were in a rush to end the show last time or last Jedi, but Luke at the end, when he shows up to that planet, that salt planet, there's a part earlier in the movie where he says to Ray, what do you want me to do? Stand up against the, the entire first order with my lightsaber. 
Right. And he does that. At the end of the movie, he does that. He's standing right in front of them with his lightsaber, only his lightsaber. Now, we don't know what he's doing, but he is doing just that. And what he does is he creates such a spectacle that what his actions create a discussion throughout the rest of the galaxy that Luke Skywalker, he stood up to the first order. He's the spark that lights the fire that brings down the first order. So when they show those children at the end and the kid who's obviously force sensitive, he's inspired by what he heard about Luke. Right. And that's the spark, the new order of people who are like, you know what? Luke Skywalker I want to be him. I want to do what he does. So Luke Skywalker is like the the most important character in that film because he uh, causes what's going to happen next in episode nine by his, he's inspiring people to rebel against the first order. And to me, if you think about it, anybody who was trained as a Jedi from young has gone on to be weird. Mm -hmm. If you come into it as a teen, Mm Mm-hmm. You don't have the preconceived notions of the Force. You right, don't right. even know too much about it. Yeah, I, Ken was talking about Ray and her knowledge of the Force and stuff like that. I, If you notice, she did take the journals with her. Luke yeah. thought they burned up, but I almost think Luke, uh, Yoda, what he was saying to Luke was just like, you know, Ray already knows what she needs to know. It's because she already took the stuff, and he knows that, because uh, Yoda's aware of it, apparently. Uh that's what I think. I don't know how omniscient Yoda is, but he knew he he could start a fire and he's a ghost. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but I think I don't think necessarily Ray knows everything, but she does have the information. She took it with her and put it on the Millennium Falcon. So that might be what it well, is. Well, she knows like like Luke did. He was a, a essentially the same age as Ray when he came into the Force. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So, you see, that's obviously the the sticking point of those two. They're, they didn't come, they weren't taught from a little age of good and bad. They right. already had their own ideas of it. And Ray's not impulsive Having, like Luke was. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I can't wait to see episode nine and see what J.J. Abrams does with that. But what's, uh, let's not forget, we have another voicemail. Let's get into that. We may, this discussion may go longer now. <laughs> yes. Here is the second Last Jedi voicemail. This one from Adam. Let's check it out. Entertainment Landfill Crew. It's been a long time, boys. Long I'm very time. happy that you guys recorded a uh, holiday spectacular. And I love the fact that it's completely centered around The Last Jedi. Um... I couldn't, I couldn't listen to it right away because it took me a while to get out to the theaters to see it. But I went um, about a week ago, and I took Charlie, my six-year-old, and Lawrence, my 10-year-old, and his buddy Ryan. And Ryan had already seen the movie. Um, but I love how when you guys talk about movies that you go and see, you always kind of set the scene. And uh, about where you went, what the seating's like. <clears throat> and I just like that. I think it's a you know, a, a cool detail to add in to a show like that. And, uh, so I may as well tell you where I saw it. I saw TLJ at, uh, Brendan theaters in Concord, California. Nice. Not the biggest fan of this movie theater. Um, the interior is made to look like the inside of a space station. 
but it was built in the late 1990s, so it's kind of falling apart at this point. And <laughs> it used to be like a great theater; That's I loved space it. Station. But now it's just kind That's of like mm, it's kind of weird. But anyways, um, we didn't since I since there was four of us that went. I couldn't find reserved seating in blocks of four, except for on the front row. And I hate sitting on the front row, so I had to get like the uh, come first come first serve seating on the very back row, uh, which it I was okay. But there were these two little side seats off to the side, um, one row up ahead, that my son and his buddy sat in. And me and Charlize sat about six, seven rows to their left and, um, you know, on the back, very, very back row. And I thought that would be cool because I thought my son could have a good time with his buddy and, you know, have a little privacy. He's almost 11 at this point, so I thought that would be kind of cool. But man, those little turds would not shut up. They just like <laughs> talked and talked and talked the whole friggin' time. Really pulled me out of the movie. I'm gonna have to go see it again. I was angry with Lawrence. At one point, I told him to shh like four or five times, and he just would not stop. At one point, um, I was slowly unwrapping a a bubble yum piece of gum for Charlize and uh, before I had it all the way unwrapped I just chucked it right at the back of Lawrence's head and went shh knock it off but then I uh, eventually had to move him the little turd like he just would not be quiet they know nothing about movie etiquette anyways I'm sorry I, I wanted to get that out of the way but it, it was it was annoying I, I relate to what Stephen was saying in the uh, in terms of the D-box seating like this the subtle tilt you know when he went and saw Interstellar they did that when I saw Kingsman whenever they would do a long panning shot they would just have a subtle tilt to it and I really really liked it I also can relate to what Bill was saying about about uh, the humor right away in Star Wars and how Bill was saying it kind of took him out of it almost a little bit, but he had to tell himself, wait, it's Star Wars, it's good, it's natural for one thing. Like, that is natural to insult someone like that. That's like what people would do in everyday life. And the prequels were so stiff and wooden that I really appreciate these movies not being afraid to let the sense of humor come in. And I honestly i felt the same way like bill was basically describing my feelings as well um it was it was weird but i i I was like hey it's all right let's just go with it obviously i love the part where luke throws the lightsaber when ray introduces herself to him and all that that was cool you guys were talking about the throne room a little bit snoke's um throne room and for some reason that all red backdrop reminds me of some sort of show tunesy rat pack style movie where there's performers going like a stage performance i don't think it's white christmas and i haven't seen a ton of those movies but it looked very retro to me like i don't know like 50s or 60s or something like that um david lynch and then the red knights you know or the imperial guards you guys were talking about like why snope would even need them i'm just kind of thinking maybe it's a power move you know what I mean? And they obviously lived to serve that guy because as soon as he was sliced in two, they leapt right into battle. But I just kind of wanted like to I touch on that a little bit. And I love when PCZ said, um, I think it was PCZ, Steve-O, he said, uh, Snoke's a burn victim or something like that. So that was cool. I love the fact that Bill is so well uh, educated and experienced with the expanded universe. And I know they said they were going to go away from that with seven, eight, and nine, uh, the films. But I still think that the creators and writers and the director and these people probably grew up reading those so it's kind of interesting to hear some of the um how the new films are related to some things that are touched on in the expanded universe now i'm not on social media all the time so i didn't read any bad reviews for this movie but a few people told me in person that had seen it that it was getting mixed reviews and some people were 
you know, complaining about certain things. Um, I think the one part that came up was the Leia, the Force Angel, when she was blasted out into space. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like that shot, while it was epic and it was a nice, pretty shot and it was moving, it just kind of weirded me out a little bit. And I couldn't help (laughs) but think when I was watching the movie, like, I wonder if this is the part that the critical people had a problem with. (laughs) Um, I love the bomber scene. Such a neat... Um, I just love it. Just feels like a real war movie. I don't know much about war, but it did feel like a World War II, you know, bombing a section of land or something or a town or uh, just the struggle was great. It was intense. Uh, her kicking the detonator down from the ladder and catching it the last second, um, as unbelievable as that might be, still fun. Good, good, good stuff. I don't care. It's fun to watch. I love the X-wing drift, uh, the Tokyo drift in space, and I love how Bill said in space when you guys were talking about that um kylo ren ditching the mask i love that because i kind of feel like if you're a freaking if you're a scary guy if you have like a dark dark sensibility and you're evil you don't need a mask so i love that he got rid of it i think that was good the milk scene didn't so much blow me away like it did with bill as much as it really grossed me out i mean that creature's like (laughs) sit on the rocks like legs spread open he's got four teats and not udders like teats like they look like nipples and then like he's just like squeezing it and the stuff comes out and he drinks it and it's all over his mustache not a fan of that part at all really grossed me out but ryan the little guy that uh, my my uh, son's friend that was with us i talked to him and lawrence after the movie about how that grossed me out and ryan said pure protein which i thought was hilarious he's a he's a goofball i love the ice wall scene the part where she snaps and you can hear it like uh reverb reverberate over and over and over again bravo to the creators on that because it really like i was getting anxiety i'm like "Eh, make it stop it was kind of freaking me out and anytime you know a filmmaker can make you feel that way i think that's a good thing i love the yoda scene i love that um he did look like the puppet from empire i think that was a great uh great choice on the filmmakers parts for sure um i also thought that rose died at the end i didn't know that she was going to be uh resuscitated or whatever i also was fooled by luke's appearance or arrival thought it was totally him had no idea he was doing some jedi wizardry um i also noticed the giant sea creature in the background when when luke was walking away uh, walking out of um out of the screen uh, when he's on the island. I forget the name of that island, but the Jedi Temple Island or whatever. Love the details. Uh, I love when Luke brushes the dirt off his shoulders like Jay-Z. If I was... Uh, if I had enough time, I would probably enter in uh, that soundtrack or that song right now, but I don't have that kind of time. But a uh, quote of the show by Brooklyn Bill, which is Bill's official little new name for me, oh, nice. is uh, Kylo Ren is a big dummy. Uh, lovely time of sharing at the end of your podcast. Almost felt therapeutic for you guys, uh, and especially as a fan. I just love it when you three are together, and it's been a long time, and it was nice of you guys to share the sentiment that you did. Can't wait till Simon Pegg's on the podcast. Very nice. <laughs> Nice of Ken and Ha to send a voicemail from the shower. And I agree with PCZ. You guys really uh, dissected the film. Love Jason's New Year's resolution to read less Twitter and read more uh, read more books. And I, like I said earlier, I try to stay away from social media as much as possible these days. And it's very freeing. And I feel like you'll be better for it, Jason. And I also wanted to say Happy New Year to everyone. I know I text some of you guys uh, here and there. and um, But Happy New Year. I hope that 2018 is awesome. I'm really proud of Bill for uprooting himself 
myself from Ohio and moving on to bigger and better things. Good luck to you and Natalie there. I, uh, you know, I hope you and wish you guys all the best. And yeah, let's, man, I, I want to, I really want you guys to do more movie minis for, I mean, I really want you to do them on the original, uh, trilogy, Star Wars. And I know that you got, you have a Patreon thing, but maybe if we could just raise a thousand bucks or something like that, if everybody would be willing to pitch in or raise 500 bucks or a hundred dollars a show or something like that, if we could do that. Um, I also saw the movie Bright the other day on Netflix and it is so good. You guys have to check it out. It's so neat. I love it. I like Will Smith. I love his uh, humor and, and him and the orc character that is his partner in that film. They do a really good, they have a good chemistry and you know, it's not like a, uh, it's not the best movie I've ever seen, but man, it was fun. I love the concept. It was awesome. I hope you do a movie mini on that. I'm really pulling for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, Adam Sexton is right. I mean, I, I'm sorry that I don't send in more voicemails these days, but honestly, having you guys at my disposal to text you guys is so easy, but it does break the community down. So I didn't want to text too much to anyone about this. I wanted to send in this voicemail. I'm sorry. It's 10 minutes long. If you don't want to play the whole thing, that's completely understandable. I probably didn't need to go over everything in detail, but I I did take notes as I was listening to your show the (laughs) second time through on TLJ. And I just wanted to send in a voicemail to say, uh, I love you guys. And you already know what the show means to me, but it means it's it's a huge thing. Love it's you like too, it's just a, it's like a warm hug listening to it um, to my eardrums. But anyways, all right, guys, have a wonderful time, and I can't wait to hear the next show. Bye. All right, Adam, thank you so much. Now I haven't seen Bright. I don't know if I'll do a Nim movie mini of it. Maybe I'll do one with you. You and I will do a bright show, okay? <laughs> but I really want to wa- see on Netflix is the Cloverfield Paradox. Right. Did you say on the Super Bowl they had a commercial for it? Uh-huh. And it was like, watch it after the game. And I was like, wait, what did that just say? Did right. that say I can watch it after the game? Right. And I haven't been able to watch it yet, but... I I'm gonna watch that first. I watched Altered Carbon last week. The I first watched six that. episodes. I have a coworker who listened to the audio book and he really liked it. I it, six episodes in. You know, it's got nudity, got violence. It's set in the future. I think uh, it looks gorgeous. Sold, sold, and sold. I'm having a great time with Altered Carbon, and I will watch the Cloverfield Paradox. This weekend, there's no way anybody's stopping me from watching it. Yes, and Joel Kinnaman is in Altered Carbon, and he's great. And my wife loves how he's barely got any clothes on. (laughs) Just kidding. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much, Adam. And Stephen, we're not done talking Star Wars because... Solo, the new Star Wars film coming out in May. That's right, May. Uh-huh. Solo, a Star Wars story all about Han Solo is coming out. And we've got a new trailer. Let's check it out real quick. Have you watched it? I have watched it. All right, let's watch it again. Oh, yeah. scams on the street since I was 10. I was kicked out of the flight academy. Oh, my God. For having a mind of my own. I'm going to be a pilot. Best in the galaxy. Hey, kid. I'm putting together a crew. 
You in? Chewie! I might be the only person. Who knows? What you really are. What's that? Thought we were in trouble there for a second, but it's fine. We're fine. Buy your tickets now. Okay. When uh, there's a teaser for it during the Super Bowl, and we weren't watching the Super Bowl, but I had it on on in the bedroom where I'd go in there and I'd just see the score or whatever. And I saw the solo teaser was on, and I was trying to fumble with the controller, and then I realized I could rewind it because it's DVR. (laughs) But I was like, turn up the volume or whatever. And uh, (laughs) it was so funny that I was acting so stupid about that. But uh, I was like, oh, my God. And I, from that point on, I wanted to watch the Super Bowl in case I didn't want to miss any other teasers or whatever. But let's go ahead and watch that Super Bowl teaser real quick. Did you watch this? That might be the one I've seen. So you want to make a difference? Yeah. Trust me, you're going to love it. And which branch are you interested in joining? I'm going to be a pilot. That's in the galaxy. Your name? I love it. Oh, that. that got me right there. Chewie put his hand on his shoulder. I almost like started getting teary-eyed over that. I have no idea why. But just Chewie putting his hand on Han's shoulder. My buddy. And I was just like, <laughs> I'm bringing so much baggage with me to this. <laughs> It's good baggage. Now, I'm bringing like a little like a uh, fanny pack with me. What do you think? Not a lot of baggage, just a fanny <laughs> pack. A fanny pack of baggage. <laughs> but uh, I'm not the cynical Star Wars fan right now. I'm just like loving everything they dish up for me to consume. And I'm not uh, I'm not one of those people. I read some people are like, oh, he looks nothing like Harrison Ford. I'm like. They can't clone Harrison Ford. You know that, right? They've got to cast someone else to play a younger and Han. And if they CGI'd him, you would complain he would look CGI'd. Yeah. Just, okay, Mr. Impractical, you can't have Harrison Ford playing young Han, okay? Just get over it. So, uh... I clone him. You know, you never know. Yeah, maybe they could do that in the future, but I'm excited. I came away. I was excited over what I saw, and I was like, all right, you know. Uh, everybody, you remember, it was big news. They fired the two guys who did 21 Jump Street, uh, and they Ron Howard, you know, came in to do that. And, uh, oh, this is in trouble. Kathleen Kennedy, I don't know what she's doing. Oh, my God. Uh, what's going to happen? But I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't worry. Lawrence Kasdan wrote this with his son. 
I I think the story is going to be awesome. Anybody who doubts Lawrence Kasdan, which, you know, you can, but just watch Silverado (laughs) and everything will be okay. I love the movie Silverado. I have no doubt that Lawrence Kasdan, who, of course, uh, co-wrote Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, he wrote, co-wrote it, yeah. He is writing a Star Wars film with his son. It's going to be okay. I think they're, they are having a lot of fun with this, and I can't wait to see it. And uh, then I saw this article on Entertainment Weekly. You know, they've got everything you need, Stephen, if you want to know about uh, Solo, the movie. Uh, of course, we won't buy the magazine, but it was all about Ron Howard on why he joined Solo in its time of upheaval. So I thought I'd read this to you, okay? Sure. Ron Howard is 18 years old, hoping to shed some of his cute kid fame with a slightly more grown-up role in a coming-of-age movie about cars, young love, and rock and roll. Opie, from the Andy Griffith Show, has big ideas. Maybe he'll be a filmmaker someday. Maybe. He's one of the... Only well-known people in the cast of this little film, which also includes Richard Dreyfus, Cindy Williams, Kathleen Quinlan, Charles Martin Smith, Suzanne Somers, and some guy in a cowboy hat named Harrison Ford. At this point, nobody is anybody, not even the writer-director, a skinny, quiet, bearded guy named George. George has only one small avant-garde sci-fi film in his filmography. Everybody's just starting out. I remember standing in front of Mel's Diner doing American Graffiti about midway through our shoot, and George Lucas didn't ever say much, and he was so overwhelmed by that project, and we were shooting nights and everybody was sleepy, Howard recalls now. He was not a chatty guy, but I was having a great experience working on it. He and I had already made a connection because I had been accepted to USC Film School, which is George's alma mater. And I spent a lot of time talking to him about THX 1138 and movies and where they were going and so forth. During that break in filming in the middle of the night, in the middle of summer, surrounded by vintage cars outside of San Francisco diner that has literally been retrofitted, Howard receives a vision of the future. I said, well, do you know what you want to do after American Graffiti? And he said, yeah. I want to do a big science fiction movie. I'm working on a script. And I said, well, what is it? He said, oh, it's a little bit like Flash Gordon, but it's not Flash Gordon. But I liked those movies when I was a kid and those comics and things. His plan was to bring state-of-the-art visual effects and sound to those old tales of hokey religions, ancient weapons, and heroes with blasters at their sides. He said, but you know, it has like the grandeur of... 2001 and the realism of those special effects that Kubrick created, Howard recalls. And then he said, but maybe fast, fast. That's the race car driver in Lucas, fast. And that was about all he said about it, you know. I'm thinking the spaceships are fast. So it didn't leave me with a deep understanding of what he wanted to go for until I happened to see it. And there it was. And it was kind of mind-blowing. Also mind-blowing... Closing in on half a century later, Howard would be making one of those Star Wars movies. Young Ron Howard couldn't have guessed his future would include young Han Solo, and he definitely couldn't foresee the havoc that would unfold to pull him 
into that galaxy of far, far away. Summer of 2017. The Han Solo movie is in crisis. Lucasfilm and the two directors hired to craft this standalone film about the early years of the most beloved scoundrel in movie history are at an impasse. Phil Lord and Chris Miller are pretty beloved themselves. They're comedy masterminds who made the Lego movie, the 21 Jump Street films, and even executive produced The Last Man on Earth. Okay, I don't watch that show. Among other hit projects, everybody likes them. But what they're doing with the Han Solo film isn't satisfying Lucasfilm. A Star Wars movie is no one's idea of a place to experiment. The specifics of this dispute come down to a they said, they said. I just say over and over again that, yes, it was an incredibly difficult decision that we had to make, and obviously it was pretty late in the game, which shows we spent a lot of time trying not to have to make that decision, says Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy. And I think both Chris and Phil are enormously talented and incredibly funny. When all this came together, all of us wanted nothing more than to have this be an incredible working experience. And that it was not working out as we all had hoped. It wasn't out of a lack of talent. This part of the story has already been told. Yeah, I know. Over the summer, when the news first broke, sources close to the guys said that they weren't given the freedom or trust to make the movie they wanted. Sources familiar with the studio side said they weren't following the script. They were improvising way too much and taking so long to complete shooting that Lucasfilm lost confidence. In the winter of 2018, asked directly about it now, Kennedy answers... I think these guys are hilarious, but they came from a background of animation and sketch comedy, and when you're making these movies, you can do that, and there's plenty of room for improvisation. We do that all the time, but it has to be inside of a highly structured process, or you can't get that work done, and you can't move the armies of people to anticipate and have things ready. So it literally came down to process, just getting it done. This is nobody's favorite topic to discuss. There comes a point where there's only so much you can do, and then you have to take a different course, and that's where we ended up, Kennedy says. So it's not like there's anything I can really add to it, because that's the last thing I want to do, is reopen a wound. Yeah, I just don't want to do that, she says. These are really great guys, and you know, nobody wants this to happen. Yeah, we get it. They're great guys, but they were working too slow. Shit canned. But it happened. The directors parted ways over creative differences, which is the nice way of saying they were fired. A word that seemed unnecessarily blunt, given how much everybody says they just like Lord and Miller. I think everybody went in with really good intentions, and it was our approach to make the movie that was different than theirs. That was really a big gap to bridge, and it proved to be too big. Lord managed to laugh, and he added, Sometimes people break up, and it's really sad, and it's disappointing. But it happens, and we learned a lot from our collaborators, and we're better filmmakers for it. Hey, do you get this, Stephen? Nobody's mad at anybody. No hurt feelings. He added that we're really proud of the work we did on the movie, and we wish everybody the best. Miller suggested that there were no lingering hard feelings. We're super well-adjusted. Obviously, we're doing great. We're super drunk right now, he joked. As Phil said, we had a great relationship with the cast and crew. We're really rooting for them. They're not really, are they? No, they're pissed off. But after they left Solo, Solo was rudderless, briefly. Picture the movie on a boat just dr- adrift in the ocean, Stephen. Oh, my God. It's gotta the get life some- of Pi. Get somebody out there, Yeah. 
and there's a friggin' tiger in the boat with the movie. <laughs> Just two days after the announcement of the split of Lord and Miller, Lucasfilm announced it had selected a new director, a veteran, an Oscar winner, and another guy that pretty much everybody likes. Ron Howard! says joining the project wasn't an easy choice. He says, but it came at a time when he was between directing gigs, focusing on his producing work at his company, Imagine, and he was friends with Kennedy and Allison Shearmer, the producer of Solo, who lost her battle with cancer in January. He wanted to do what he could, but he also didn't want to step on toes of fellow filmmakers. I know Chris and Phil. They're incredibly talented guys and extremely likable. <laughs> All anyone at Imagine Entertainment wants to do is find a way to work with Chris and Phil. And that's every bit as much as the case today as ever, he says. But when I learned that this change was happening, it just came in a moment where I was working on lots of new projects for Imagine. And I had not planned to direct anything last year. So then this came my way and I was talking to Kathy and the now tragically late Ali Shearmer, an old friend. I was reluctant, but I also began to feel that I could help. He enjoyed the script. He was friends with the producers. He liked the cast. He even made peace with Lord and Miller. And so Ron Howard stepped aboard the Millennium Falcon. It's disappointing that any company ever feels like they have to make a change like that. It's rough on everybody and disappointing for everybody. And I've just tried to come in and, of course, Phil and Chris's fingerprints are all over the movie, given how much they put into it and the time they put into it. I hope fans won't even think about how the movie was made. They should just lose themselves in it. And I plan on doing that when I see it. <laughs> you know, I could watch Ant-Man and not go, well, what would Edgar Wright have done? I, thought, yeah. I left that behind. I left my backpack you full of Edgar Wright. Of what ifs. Yes. How much of the film is his and how much is theirs? That's a question fans have been asking. But Howard isn't answering. Why would he? Instead, he paraphrases the smuggler himself. As Han says, don't tell me the percentages. Never tell me the percentages. Never tell me the odds, I think is what he says. The actual code is never tell me the odds, but hey. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really want to explain it. I don't really want to be specific about that because, again, I don't even want that to matter to fans. And it shouldn't, but people are going to do it anyway. I'm not, personally. I can understand why you'd ask, and some might even be curious. But look, everybody who has been involved in this has done nothing but love what this movie could be. And that's the vibe around it. I think audiences are going to feel that love and excitement. I wish I could talk like Ron Howard. Apart from having the means and desire to help a production in trouble, there was another factor that drew him to Solo. George is like a big brother mentor in my life, says Howard who also worked with Lucas on the 1988 swordplay and magic saga, Willow. 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 Solo will feature a cameo from Star Wars stalwart and Willow star Warwick Davis. Of course, he's awesome. That was a treat to reconnect with Warwick, Howard says. He's smart, he's versatile, he's funny, and he's a pleasure and an old friend. So that was a blast. Even though Lucas sold his company to Disney and is no longer actively involved in the films, the legacy of the character and the new slate of movies meant something to Howard, so he said yes to Solo. I actually felt... They could have started this whole story right here with this picture. (laughs) I actually felt like it was going to be a very unique creative experience for me. It happened to fit into my life 
and I like the adventure of tackling challenges. And this was certainly going to be a hell of a challenge, and it has been, but an exciting one. I will say this about Ron Howard. He's a pro. I know he's going to get in there and get the job done. He's a seasoned pro. He got a helping hand from old friends, too. Ford spoke with and gave him some insight into the character that he typically begrudges curious Star Wars fan. That's right, Stephen. Harrison Ford. Then, just as shooting resumed, Howard got a visit from another familiar face. Familiar face. The guy who first told him about this galaxy a long time ago. He came by to visit the first day that I picked up shooting. George and his wife Melody came to pay a visit to the set. It made me feel great, Howard says. Lucas, the father of Star Wars, who handed off to another generation to become the grandfather of Star Wars, even gave some advice that sounded straight out of the Obi-Wan playbook. He told me to just trust my instincts, you know, Howard says with a laugh. (laughs) I know he kind of fundamentally feels like, first and foremost, these films are sort of for 12-year-old boys, and yet even he knows that it's grown so far beyond that, and fans have grown with the series in a great, important way. So he didn't offer a lot of advice except... You'll get this. That brief set visit became a longer one. And a longer one. He'd intended to just kind of stop by and say hi, and he stayed for five hours, Kennedy says. There's even one moment in that scene. I can't tell you what, sorry, but there's a scene in the Millennium Falcon where George said, Why doesn't Han just do this? In other words, George Lucas... Help direct a small part of Solo. <laughs> wow, are they really kind of building this up? It's actually funny a little bit that Lucas this had a hand in it. <laughs> It'll probably get a laugh. And Ron happened to be by the monitor and not inside the Falcon. And he goes, "Oh, that's a great idea!" And ran in and said, "George wants us to do this." So that was pretty cool. I think George felt pretty great about it. He could revisit these characters, and I think he felt so comfortable. Obviously, with Ron being there. That was just fun for him. Lucas's final wisdom for his old American graffiti actor, just enjoy this. And I really have enjoyed it. (laughs) 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 It's such a good story. I know that went on a little long, but I just thought I would uh, read that. It was very long. In a good way? I was a yes. storyteller there, Stephen. You were. Also, you know, of course, they have Harrison Ford. Wait, did we catch that about Harrison Ford? Harrison Ford was a covert advisor to to the Star Wars story. Tell them I told you everything you need to know, and you can't tell anyone. That was Harrison Ford's advice to Alden Ehrenreich, the man who would be Han. When they sat down for lunch in January last year, shortly before the production began on Solo, A Star Wars Story... Aaron Reich, the 28-year-old actor best known for the Corn Brothers movie, Hail Caesar, dutifully remained tight-lipped about the Star Wars veteran's guidance. There is honor among thieves. I gotta stick to my orders from the man himself, Aaron Reich said. But E.W. uncovered more intel about Ford's involvement from other Star Wars sources, who revealed that although the original Han kept a respectful distance... He did provide some vital insights into the character he has lived with, sometimes uncomfortably, for decades. Harrison Ford secretly directs. <laughs> Why don't you do this, kid? Oh, he's directing! Lucasfilm president and solo producer Kathleen Kennedy, who was also known for it since their Raiders of the Lost Ark days, said that she called the actor after his lunch with Aaron Reich. 
It was perfect. Classic Harrison, Kennedy says, breaking into his signature low-key grumble. Good kid, good kid, really good kid. She also had sent forward the script, which he said he read and gave a thumbs up to. I think being who Harrison is, there's no way he would step into the middle of this and start trying to dictate... But Ford is a living repository of knowledge about Han's origins. He was the one George Lucas talked to about the character's history and motivations way back when they brought him to life in 1977. What Ford did so beautifully for Alden was he talked a lot about what he remembered when he first read Star Wars and what George had done with Han. Who the character was and the conversations he had for so many years with George about how the character developed. It can't be the same character. Their hair's parted different. <laughs> he looks nothing like Harrison. He gave Alden that kind of insight, which was invaluable. There were several times in the course of making the movie where Alden would actually recount some of the things that Harrison had pointed. The story is so silly. <laughs> I remember what he said. Yes. I remember the story. And Harrison told me actually, that George told him about Harrison. About I really solo. think that conversation was helpful. Okay, whatever. This is third, third, third heard scene. How many articles can we fill with the same information, Stephen? <laughs> All right, on to other you, things. You love it when it repeats not only just the headline, but it's the first just sentence. three times. The headline's the first sentence. Okay, enough Star Wars. Watch the first teaser for Venom starring Tom Hardy. That's right, Stephen. Sony Pictures Entertainment has released the first teaser for so, its Venom movie with Tom so Hardy in the starring not. role. See, they just did it. Why isn't it Topher Grace? <laughs> exactly. Watch Hardy as the washed-up journalist Eddie Brock in the trailer above. Venom marks the very beginning of Sony's Marvel Universe, a cinematic setting of dubious definition. Sony has insisted that Venom will take place in the same setting as 2017's Spider-Man Homecoming, which takes place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel, on the other hand, has insisted that Venom is not part of the MCU. <laughs> That's all a bit of this megacorporation said that megacorporation said. What? That's all a bit of this megacorporation said that mega corporation said holy uh, that's a word typo. jumble but in a nutshell it means that you shouldn't expect tom holland's spider-man to be a huge part of venom which is bizarre running counter to the character's origin story although of course sony would like to keep fan hope alive of that great big crossover in the sky why are you making this movie can you make a venom movie without spider-man i say no on October 5th, 2018, when Venom comes out, we'll know. And in the meantime, you'll just have to watch the trailer. Let's check it out, Steven. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. I'm already enthralled. He's laying in what? What do they call those? MRI. An MRI or machine. CT. Oh, CAT scan machine. Everyone's got their thing. Maybe it's a breakup. A death. An accident. Whatever it is, you used to be one thing. Now, you're something else. 
What are you? What are you? I'm Venom. We all have our own problems. Our own issues. Okay, October. Got it. And I feel nothing. I don't know. What do you think? What did it tell you? Nothing. It didn't even show him as Venom. I saw some people say, we already know what he looks like. Just show us. (laughs) (laughs) But they don't have to give you what... Never give the audience what it wants. Torture them, I say. (laughs) Now, Stephen, as you know, uh, Netflix now has the Cloverfield sequel, Cloverfield Paradox. But... Prequel. There's a potential Cloverfield 4, and it's a crazy movie, J.J. Abrams says. (laughs) This, according to IGN, what may a Cloverfield 4... What may be Cloverfield 4 is a crazy movie, according to J.J. Abrams. It just said it there, says it here in the next slide. I told you you love it when it says that. In an interview with Digital Spy, there's nothing called that, Abrams briefly touched on the potential fourth Cloverfield film called Overlord. For now, and how could it fit into the Cloverfield franchise? Though the filmmaker remained very vague about whether the movie will end up actually being Cloverfield for, despite recent support suggesting it is, Abrams is still excited about the project nonetheless. Overlord, first of all, it's something that I can't wait for you to see because the director, Julius Avery, has done an amazing job on it. But the specifics, you know, we should wait and see. But it's really a crazy movie, he says. And thus, this story I'm reading now is born. So it now has said it's a crazy movie three times. Overlord's story reportedly follows a group of American paratroopers during D-Day battling supernatural forces in a knock occupied village according to recent reports the movie has already completed filming and will open in theaters later this year elsewhere in the interview abrams discussed the nature of revealing cloverfield films and if they can receive the same surprise release treatment as the cloverfield paradox which premiered on netflix hours after being officially announced during this year's super bowl It didn't really feel like it was any fun to release the Cloverfield Paradox with everybody knowing that it was coming. Could we possibly do this and keep it a secret and release a thing in a way that we did? That felt to me, that's the spirit of these movies. That's the spirit of the series. So talk about what the next one is and what's going to happen. Sort of feels counterintuitive. That's right. But we do know this, Stephen. It's going to be a crazy movie. Did you know about it? Paradox? That it was no, I no, I knew the next Cloverfield movie was originally called The God Particle, and just like the previous Cloverfield Ten Cloverfield Lane was another film that they bought and turned into a Cloverfield film. The same thing, God Particle became Cloverfield Paradox. Gotcha. And that seems to be their mo for Cloverfield. It's very interesting. And uh, I read everywhere, like, Netflix buys uh, Cloverfield for the Cloverfield Paradox for $50 million. So now Netflix buys a sci-fi thriller, Extinction, from Universal. 
Netflix has acquired the sci-fi thriller Extinction after Universal ditched it from its slate. The Lizzie Kaplan and Michael Pena starring flick was due to hit theaters last month, but Universal pulled it from release without explanation. Netflix has subsequently confirmed to Variety that it has bought the rights to Extinction and plans to release it later this year. The news comes in the wake of another Netflix film that already came prepackaged for another studio, The Cloverfield Paradox, suggesting a strategy for the streaming service of picking up scraps. Extinction stars Kaplan and Pena as a married couple who must protect their family in the wake of an alien invasion and is directed by a relative newcomer, Ben Young. Hey, I, why not? You know, the studio decides they're not going to release a film and Netflix gets to watch it and they're like, okay, people will watch this. I think that's cool. I'm wondering, I'm curious how many people, like fans, we're, we're fans of Cloverfield and 10 uh-huh. Cloverfield Lane. I really enjoyed those films. When I saw the name Cloverfield for the third one, there's always all this mystery around it and everything. I was super excited, but I already subscribed to Netflix. But I'm wondering how many people are like, all right, I'm going to finally get Netflix now. i got to watch this. Pull the trigger by Netflix. Now, Stephen, The Tick, part two of season one, is returning this month. The Tick finally meets a spoon in new photos. Spoon! The Tick returns to Amazon Prime Video on February 23rd, and in the remaining six episodes of season one, things are going to get weirder. Or is it going to be crazy, like J.J. Abrams says? Super crazy. After ending the first half of the season on a humdinger of a cliffhanger, creator Ben Edlin tells IGN that we're going to be feasting on Arthur meeting and dealing with his lifelong nemesis, the Terror. After the chilling villain capture a long-suffering sidekick turned hero in episode 6. In drawing Arthur further into the Terror's world, the show will also be exploring more of Arthur's past and the traumatic incident that bound him to the villain in the first place. One of the fun things that happens in the season that I'm really excited to have people get to watch is the Flag Five and their story of the death of those heroes and the death of Arthur's father. That hangs like a specter over the story. It's really a big part of the first season. Arthur's origin story and his first moments with the terror, but also Midnight, who's another member of Flag Five. Okay, don't tell me anymore. I want to know about the, the spoon. What is he going to tell us about the spoon? Oh, yeah, and the tick finally gets to have a meaningful moment with the spoon, as you can see in this picture. That's it? Meanwhile, Edlin teases, I feel like it's reasonable to advertise that the very large man, the VLM, gets a very, very... Oh, I forgot about that. Remember the guy who keeps growing? Yeah. He gets... Uh, I would say it's one of the very larger naked problems that superheroes have had to deal with in the history of super fiction, superhero fiction. So when's Cherface Chippendale coming? <laughs> I'm excited. I can't wait. Submit any cow. I'm going to read this story because... I've requested this. You know, I'm a huge fan of the show Chuck. All I want is some Chuck novels, some kind of neat books I can buy with additional Chuck stories. Well, Steven, you're a fan of Firefly, right? Sure. Yes. (laughs) Now listen to this article on io9. No, Firefly is still not coming back, but it is getting a bunch of novels. So that's something. That's right, Firefly has been gone for a long time, but that's not stopped the verse from spinning ever onwards, be it through Serenity, through attempted video games, and even through comics. 
But now Captain Mal and his erstwhile crew are set to ride out into the black once again. Although not in the way you probably want to see the most. Titan Books has announced through Entertainment Weekly, man, these guys are getting all the scoops, that Firefly will expand with a series of novels. Although series creator Joss Whedon won't pen any of the stories, he's serving as a consulting editor. He's like, eh, looks good. I'm busy. I need a hundred more pages. Yeah. Mel would never say that. He's a consulting editor, editor on the trio of new books, penned by Nancy Holder, James Lovegrove, and Tim Lebin. Here's a brief rundown of each title. Firefly, Big Damn Hero by Nancy Holder. Captain Malcolm Reynolds finds himself in a dangerous situation after being kidnapped by a bunch of embittered veteran browncoats. Firefly, The Magnificent Nine by James Lovegrove. Jane receives a distress call from his ex-temperance McLeod that leads the Serenity crew to danger on a desert moon. Then, Firefly Generations by Tim Lebin. The discovery of the location of one of the legendary Ark ships that brought humans from Earth to the Verse promises staggering salvage potential. But at what cost? River Tam thinks she might know. This is far from the first time Firefly has fled to alternate mediums in an attempt to keep brown coat faithfuls going with the new stories. What? But a novel series probably makes the most sense now for the show's future. Until someone at Fox decides to reboot. A reboot might go down well. No, it's not happening. These books all seem like they could do some interesting things with the show's universe. Especially Generations. Firefly's return begins this fall with Big Damn Hero, The Magnificent Nine, and Generations. They'll be out in March and October of 2019. Steven, I'm ready to start reading. All right, Stephen, next story. Did you know Sabrina the Teenage Witch is getting a new series on Netflix? No. But it's a more serious, darker, <gasps> Riverdale-like show. But as long you... as Nick Bakai is the cat, <laughs> I'm cool. Do you remember that? <laughs> he was Salem the cat, right? Yes. Well, Stephen, meet <laughs> Netflix's new Salem. That's right. If crossing paths with a black cat is supposed to bring bad luck, why do we suddenly feel so fortunate? Riverdale showrunner Roberto Aguirre Sacasa on a Friday shared the first photo of Salem the cat from his upcoming still untitled Netflix series about Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And it's perfect. (laughs) Boo! We didn't know exactly how this new Salem will compare to the old one. Nick Bakai. <laughs> ABC, the WB, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. But if he's anything like the version from The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, a comic book series written by Aguirre Sacasa, upon which the new series is based, fans are in for a rude awakening. Whereas sitcom Salem masked his diabolical schemes with sarcasm and humor, the chilling version is considerably more sinister. At one point, he attempts to enact the Book of Revelation. And you hate when your cat poops in the laundry room. It was recently announced that Madman's Kiernan Shipka will star as the titular spellcaster with Jazz Sinclair, recently signing on to play Sabrina's BFF, Rosalind Walker. Per Aguirre Sacasa's tweets, we also know that the series' first episode will be called Chapter 1, October Country. Okay. That's terrible. Yeah. 
When is is Nick Bakai coming back? They don't tell us. <laughs> well, Stephen, I think if it's not. At least he can do, get together with Dennis Miller. Either, so. <laughs> it's time to uh, read some Rotten Tomatoes. What do you say? Although I'm slowly losing my voice during this show, so I'm just trying to take I know, it. You easy. haven't been talking enough. Let's do it. You say either. I say either. You say neither. And I say neither. Either, either, and either, neither. And let's call the whole thing off. Yes, you like potato. And I like potato. You like tomato. I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Smell like stale tomato juice. It certainly does. Now, Stephen, um, Fifty Shades Freed has come out. That's right, the third Fifty Shades of Grey movie. What do you? How do you feel about that? I'm so excited! I've never seen any of these films. Me neither. But I read a review that kind of cracked me up this morning. Uh, this from I, IGN. And uh, Fifty Shades Freed review, and I just thought this was funny. This is why William Bibiani. First of all, I do want to say this about Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Fifty Shades Free, Freed, it's a horrible title, is 11% rotten. 11 fresh, 85 rotten. Sounds about right. Haven't all of them been rotten so far? None of them have been registered as good. Yeah, and this guy, I don't know really know anything about the films except they were based on books. And the Fifty Shades movies are less like movies and more like sharper image catalogs, but with lot a lot more sex in them. The characters are so feeble and in their stories are so inconsequential that everything that would usually make a movie interesting becomes window dressing for... Uh, well, window dressings, ornate bathtubs, lavish beds, a frying pan that even an amateur chef would kill for, fancy cars, and even fancier aircraft. Fifty Shades Free, Freed, like all of the other films in the series, is so obsessed with the protagonist's affluent, enviable lifestyle that whenever the characters actually talk, it feels like somebody owes the montages an apology for interrupting. And yet it's hard to enjoy even the superficial allure of the Fifty Shades movies because evidently the price of every single product you could ever possibly ask for is a creepy boyfriend no one could ever possibly want. Fifty Shades Freed opens with Anastasia Steele, which is hilarious by the way, that name, played by Dakota Johnson, finally marrying billionaire Christian Grey, Jamie Dornan, a man so possessive that he had her followed by a private detective, broke into her house, sold her property without her knowledge, and bought her the company she worked for. In the last film, he even admitted that he is a sadist who likes hurting women who look like the crack-addicted mother who abandoned him, which Anastasia Steele does. Any sane person at their wedding party would give them six months tops. But to hear Fifty Shades Freed tell it, their biggest problem isn't Christian Grey's neediness or Anastasia Steele's eagerness to overlook his debilitating emotional problems whenever he buys her something fancy or shows her how to use a different sex toy. No, their biggest problem is Jack Hyde, played by Eric Johnson. Anastasia's old boss who tried to sexually assault her in the previous film. 
Now he lives off the grid on the fringes of society, plotting revenge against Anastasia for destroying his career and revenge against Christian for reasons which are supposed to be a mystery, even though the clues are literally just explanations for why he's doing it. Jack Hyde, who sounds like he only got his name because Dr. Acula and Frank N. Stein were taken, <laughs> pulls a Mission Impossible heist on Grey Enterprises and eventually engages in the ancient supervillain art of kidnapping people and tying them to chairs. And yet, no matter how much Eric Johnson tries to add a generous portion of ham to this otherwise dry offering, his efforts are ultimately wasted. Fifty Shades Freed spends almost all of its running time admiring itself. Every superficial quality takes center stage at least once, so we can drink in the enviable production design, the probably delicious food, the densely produced soundtrack, the abs of its protagonists, and the elaborate sexual paraphernalia that probably costs more than most people make in a year. Whenever Anastasia and Christian talk about their problems, even the ones that most people would roll their eyes at, they're treated with the same gravitas, usually reserved for adaptations of Jane Eyre. The verdict, despite all the evidence to the contrary, Fifty Shades Freed, like the two films before it, seems desperate to convince somebody, even itself, that the story it's telling is actually worth telling. But methinks the movie doth protest too much. When all is said and done, what was said was badly written, and what was done wasn't very interesting. Fifty Shades Freed concludes the trilogy as it began, with a romance you can't believe in, endless montages of affluence, lousy dialogue, weak plotting, and admittedly, a lot of sex. The movie is rated awful. In Fifty Shades Freed, the protagonist's frying pan is more alluring than their romance. <laughs> wow, I gotta see this frying pan, Steven. I want to see the movie just for all the uh, window dressings. I love that Anastasia Steele. That's a great name, isn't it? Richard Roper says, With little else to keep me interested, as the story stumbled along, I did enjoy keeping track of all the trendy names of various minor supporting characters. Yeah, I gotta see this. Like if it, I'm listening to Richard Roper, he buys his review people. Oh yeah, that that Twitter thing. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. Paid people to watch, look at his Twitter. They were fake people, right? Yeah. Apparently, it's a thing you do. You can buy Twitter followers. What a sorry state of affairs for moviegoers. All we want is a little coitus, but all we get is interruptus. <laughs> <laughs> that's from J.R. Jones of the Chicago Reader. He gives it he's, two out of four. He's that's brilliant. That is awesome. All we want is a little coitus, but all we get is interruptus. Genius. Did someone say freed already? Yes, please. Red, red, red. Kate Taylor of Globe and Mail, one out of four. Sheila O'Malley of RogerEbert.com says they're actually a boring couple, truth be told. <laughs> 2.5 out of four. Adam Graham of Detroit News says, There are unintentional laughs in the plotting, clunky story, but the biggest laugh is the one this series has had on the audience for three movies. D. James Barrera Dinelli of Realview says, The sex scenes are strangely mechanical and devoid of passion. It's probably a mixture of three things. Directorial decisions, a lack of chemistry between the leads, and viewer apathy. Wow. Frank Switek of One Guy's Opinion. 
It wants to be a thriller as well as a piece of softcore erotica, but it totally fails as either. F. Huh. Kate Nibs of The Ringer says, As a movie, Fifty Shades Freed is charmingly stupid. As a cultural artifact, it's an escapist commercial for how being rich is awesome that is both totally out of step with the national mood in a cheeky, possibly accidental comment on it. Okay. I like what the guy said about Coitus Interrupt is better. Pete Sobzinski says, Although Fifty Shades Freed is mostly too boring to even work as camp, there are two moments where I did indeed laugh out loud, and only one of them was inadvertently variety of the inadvertent variety. Ah, screw that up. Whatever. Isn't there somebody who liked this movie, Steven? I no, got to find a good reason. They're... Oh, wait, wait. Jose Solis Mayan of the film stage says, few things seem to make men more uncomfortable than seeing women enjoy themselves. B minus. What the hell does that mean? What does that mean? Like women in the audience enjoying themselves or women on the screen enjoying sex. Trisha Brown says it could have been worse due in large part to <clears throat> Dakota Johnson's performance. Anna is interesting and somewhat independent. Okay. Mary Ann Johansson says, My Fifty Shades of Grey fantasy. Anastasia Steele gets a restraining order against Christian Grey, writes a tell-all book about him, and becomes a hashtag me two times up heroine. Mmm, sexy. One out of five. (laughs) (laughs) Scott Mendelson says, It's a campy mix of wealth porn and affirmative consent fantasy. Christian Toto says, Naked, handcuffs, lather, rinse, repeat. Two out of four. Susan Granger says tiresome conclusion that's particularly ill-timed with a focus on female empowerment in the Me Too and Time's Up movement. Okay. What about Peter Rabbit? A movie that I will never watch. Yes, you will. Let's get James Corden to voice Peter Rabbit. And let's... Have you seen the trailer to this? Remember we saw the trailer before? Uh Um, uh, Uh-huh. Jumanji. Jumanji. And man, did it look slapsticky violent didn't it just lots of people getting hit in the head and the balls etc very three stoogy there are voices in the cast of rose byrne daisy ridley domino gleason margot robbie sam neill wow what a cast i don't even see how come in the cast oh and james corden is peter rabbit let's see the reviews currently peter rabbit is 57 percent rotten fresh 36 Rotten 27. And I do have an irrational... I try not to judge people or not like anybody, especially people I don't know, but James Corden just gets on my nerves. I don't like him. I don't think he's funny. I don't think he's talented. People love him. He does the thing where he rides in cars and sings with people. I saw this thing where he had the with the Stranger Things kids and he did a bit with them. Like, hey, uh, I put myself in with the Stranger Kids thing. I just... He's... I don't like him. You think he's trying too hard? Get off my TV. Yeah. I just get, get him away from me. I don't like him. Susan Wolf. Susan Wolf. Los Chishna of RogerEbert.com says, easy chuckles are no substitute for genuine charm. I'm just glad that Corden didn't insist on doing rabbit burrow karaoke. Two out of four. (laughs) Adam Graham of Detroit News says there are good laughs along the way, but they're clobbered to death by Gluck's insistence that you acknowledge them. Wait, director Will Gluck. Okay, I know who he's referring to now. 
Chris Nash Nashawadi of Entertainment Weekly says it just happens to be clever and funny and moves as fast as a tyke on a sugar bender. If you squint hard enough, you'll also find some of the author's signature generosity and warmth too. I give it a B. I don't believe you. Anne T. Donahue of Globe and Mail says, A children's film that makes its adults' audience take stock of their own actions and their way of thinking, particularly as the story ends up abandoning the concept of heroes and villains and paints its characters with shades of gray. Three out of four. What the hell is she talking about? I think she's mixing up this with Fifty Shades. Ah. Katie Walsh of Tribune News Services says, The gentle spirit of Beatrix Potter's books is subsumed into chaotic, violent mayhem, maniacally soundtracked to the day's hits. Two out of four. That sounds more like it. Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal says, If perfect is the enemy of good, too muchness is the enemy of enough in entertainment. I don't understand. Jeffrey M. Anderson says, The wonderful Paddington 2 managed to be wondrous, hilarious, and kind-hearted, all at the same time effortlessly peter rabbit on the other hand is all effort two out of four yeah okay it looks like garbage i did hear paddington 2 is like an incredible incredibly good look 100 percent fresh paddington 2 you know what else oh wait i now see black panther was 100 percent for a while but now it's 98 percent uh okay black panther comes out next friday steven do we already have our tickets? We do. Hell yes, we do. We're going to go see Black you, Panther. You had me so freaked out. I pulled over on the side of the road. Well, not on the side of the road. I was, I was coming home from the airport. <clears throat> and you're like, the top row's going. Go. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. So I, I pulled into a parking lot. Got my laptop out. And da, 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 bought my ticket. Oh, my so. God. I didn't mean to <laughs> panic you. But well, I, I, when I looked at it, it was like 38 minutes ago. Jason said the top row is selling out. I was like, I just I looked, and the seats that we usually get had been taken yeah. up, so we had to get a little over to the right of those. Yeah. So that's what I was saying. I didn't mean to panic you though. <laughs> I was like, got on there. I was like, the, the, the theater's not sold out yet. Jason, you scared me for no reason. Well, here's something interesting: Fif- <laughs> the 1517 to Paris by. Directed by Clint Eastwood, I'll read the plot. In the early evening of August 21st, 2015, the world watched in stunned silence as the media reported a thwarted terrorist attack on the Thales train 9364 bound for Paris, an attempt prevented by three courageous young Americans traveling through Europe. The film follows the course of the friends' lives from the struggles of childhood through finding their footing in life to the series of unlikely events leading up to the attack. Throughout the harrowing ordeal, their friendship never wavers, making it their greatest weapon and allowing them to save lives of more than 500 passengers on board, which is incredible. Those guys are amazing that they did that. But Clint Easton was like, hey, I know, I'll have the real three guys star in the movie. They're not actors. And that's why I keep seeing that the film is 20% rotten. 16 fresh, 64 rotten, audience score, 47% liked it, kicked over, bucket of popcorn. 
Let's see what Katie Walsh says. Hey, Katie, we saw what she said about other movies. The action sequence on the train is truly remarkable, which I've heard. And Clint Eastwood shoots with a documentary-style immediacy. But the surrounding film, especially the script and performances, doesn't serve this thrilling true-life story or the audience. Sam Adams, the inventor of beer, says, Whatever it's... (laughs) obvious limitations the gambit of casting non-actors in the lead roles at least brings the movie a certain authenticity but it's torpedoed by the tenured backstory laid out by dorothy blickskull's script all right peter travers he had to have liked this right steven eastwood terrorist thriller cast three american heroes to play themselves they have never acted before and as far as i'm concerned their record is clean leaving the gripping complex movie that might have been frustratingly out of reach. 2.5 out of 4. What? I don't understand. That's a he good means review. it's out of reach because you can't sit through it because they're acting so bad. But isn't 2.5 out of 4 good? We always have this issue. <laughs> yeah. And it's rotten there. Damien Straker, which I is an awesome name, by the way. shoot people for that. It marks Eastwood's worst film I've seen at the cinemas and will hopefully be buried before his next project arrives. Will Leach says, It is like watching butter melt at room temperature. Nice. (laughs) Pete Subzinski says, Although somewhat interesting from a conceptual perspective, the 1570 to Paris is a failure in pretty much every other area. David Mad Dog Bradley says, Casting the subject is a risky move that occasionally makes proceedings seem awfully real, but more often, really awkward. Boasting stunt casting, dull backstories, and blander-than-bland performances, Eastwood's dramatization of the real-life 2015 terrorist attack is a stunning misfire, says Nick Shager of the Daily Beast. Yeah, it just... It seems like a good intentions on maybe Clint Eastwood's part, but maybe bad. Like, shouldn't have gotten non-actors. You know? Even, like, I could tell, like, yeah. in the commercials on TV, their body language looks awkward as they're getting ready. You could tell they're not actors. Yeah. Which I know, these guys are real-life heroes. They saved a lot of people, but maybe they shouldn't have been the stars of the movie. I agree, Yeah. Maybe, like, at the end, you know, they do in some of these films, the real guys, and they're, like, there. Yeah. Like, it shows their faces or something like that. They look to choreograph the, the the saving scene. Now, Steven, Black Panther comes out next week. I'm not going to read anything about it until after I see the film, but I'm very excited about it. And uh, that's all I've got for uh, Let's Read Rotten Tomatoes, unless you're interested in anything, Steven. No, I think you covered everything. All right. Well, that was fun to do. So uh, we'll see you guys in a second on the flip side as I find something right here. Adam Sixon, here's by Peter Gabriel. Yes. (laughs) I love that bit. Remember that? What's that? Adam said, and here's by Peter Gabriel is playing during the end credits. (laughs) Remember, that's what we did about the uh, (laughs) Peter Berg movies. Like every one of his movies ends with heroes. We can be heroes. Thank you. Good night. Here all week, try the veal. And see. All right. Hey, everyone. 
Thank you for listening so much. Adam and Ken especially, thank you guys for listening live. Sorry about my different breaks I had to do to... My, my friend uh, from high school has been listening too, Jessica. Oh, wow. Hi to her. That's awesome. Hi, Jessica. Thank you for listening. She listened to the podcast. She's been listening to old episodes, and mm-hmm. she keeps asking me, when are we doing a new one? <laughs> nice. Like, oh, I will let you know. I'm so glad <laughs> to be recording a new episode. Uh, like I said, it feels weird not doing one and uh if you go to etlandfill.com right now guys you can see the latest worst of that i've created not a best of but the worst (laughs) of the reason i call it a worst of is because we've done one before of uh the worst of cake boss like Uh every single time we talked about cake boss all compiled into two incredibly long episodes (laughs) and also the worst of seducing cindy and tool academy that i did before but now I've made a new ETL special, the worst of Who Wants to Be a Superhero? That's right, sci-fi's reality show that Stanley hosted from a TV monitor. He never showed up in person. Yeah, He was always like, hello, true believers. Like, he's there in his <laughs> office. Like, he can't even be bothered to leave. And... uh this was years ago. This was 2006, vintage Nowhere in Mulberry, you know? This is back when Super Bill mentioned boobs everywhere. in every episode. You know, <laughs> this is back back in that heyday, and uh, you can hear us talk about these two ridiculous shows. And you can, it's funny by season two, you can hear us totally losing interest in just how stupid <laughs> this show was. Like we're like, it, it's so bad that what's funny is like the end of season one, we're like, oh, and the guy who won was feedback. Remember that? Yeah. I don't even think we mention who wins it at the end of season two. We're just so indifferent by the time in there. And yeah, that guy wins. So whatever. Okay. On to entourage. We like totally what just don't it? even. What was their, what was the prize? Were they supposed to get a comic after them? You win a comic written by Stan Lee and you get to start in a Saturday sci-fi original movie. Which feedback got to be a yeah, mega snake. That's right. For literally 10 seconds, his character shows up. And I put that 10 seconds of that movie in that. <laughs> so you get to hear his, and it's as bad as you think. A CGI oh, yeah. snake comes up and he's like, oh, a snake. Oh. And he goes, time for some feedback. And he just kind of pokes it with a mic stand and that's it. It's bad. <laughs> and I felt really bad for the guy. Because uh, the first season of Who Wants to Be a Superhero had some charm to it. It was very cheaply done, but it had, you know, it had character, you know? And season two just got, got more and more ridiculous. I, on, on, I'd seen some of the sci-fi movies, the, char- the, the people who were... Take the cane and do a jig. Were in the uh, face-off game show thing. Oh, really? They... I saw some of the people who did the makeup and stuff were in movies. It were in at least one that I saw. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, that dude was in Face Off. (laughs) And now he's trying to act and he's doing the makeup stuff. Nice. I just kind of laughed. Maybe we do that. Then the worst of Face Off. (laughs) It was funny because I was thinking, I thought of some weird shows that we used to cover on the show that kind of came and went one of them that always cracked me up because of how the Jamie Oliver food revolution show, we covered two seasons of that and bill couldn't stand Jamie Oliver so much that 
it's so funny hearing how annoyed he is by everything about it that I was like, I want to do the worst of Jamie Oliver Food Revolution. Well, who was the other guy that had this mama's meatballs? They were always so good. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, you're right. Rocco. Rocco. Oh, yeah, that would be great. He did that show, Rocco's Dinner Party. Yeah. <laughs> but what was the show that he did before that where it was like he was opening the restaurant? It was called The Restaurant. The Restaurant, But yeah. before, That was before we did a show, though, which was unfortunate because we totally would have covered that. <laughs> Uh, but we've covered a lot of dumb shows well, on the history about it. We of this podcast. We had talked about it because I, I obviously I wouldn't. I think we mentioned it a little bit, just uh, remembering Cause, it. Yeah, because he was on uh, the the other the, the other things. He would appear. He had that show, Rocco's Dinner Party, and I think that's when we talked about his other show. And he'd appear sometimes, like on Top Chef or something, and we'd go, "What and a we douche!" We made fun of his mama's meatballs. Yeah, we could. He just comes comes off like a smarmy douche, yeah. you know. But guys, if you want to check out the worst of Who Wants to Be a Superhero, it launched today on the feed. So if you want to check that out, it's two hours of uh, hilarity. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you would, send me uh, an email or voicemail at dimpodcast at gmail.com. You guys know I love feedback. Time for some feedback. Because, you know, I love hearing that people enjoy the show. And that keeps me going, motivates me. But also, guys, if you want to become a patron of the show for as little as a dollar a month, go to patreon.com slash landfill. Sorry, I'm, I'm slowly losing my voice. I'm out of practice <laughs> doing the show. But if you guys want to... for two hours at a time. For instance, our patrons got the Who Wants to Be a Superhero Worst of on Wednesday because they're patrons. If you guys want to get shows early, I'm going to start doing more of that. And I am going to do more Worst ofs because it's a lot of fun. So guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. If you want to, join our Entertainment Landfill Fan Club. <laughs> it's on the Facebooks. Also, you can follow me on Twitter. I am the Jaystrom. Follow Steven at PCZ Steven. Right, Steven? But Twitter so much. <laughs> also, guys, I'm really proud of our show archive. If you go on etlandfill.com, scroll down on the right, you'll see all these links. Right under ETL Fan Club is the link Show Archive. Click on that. You'll find every one of our shows from episode one in 2005. And, you know, of course, on the iTunes feed, you can find a lot of our shows, too, and all that kind of stuff. Or whatever. I'm running out of uh, steam. steam. But thank you guys so much for listening. And again, like I said, thank you, Ken. Thank you, Adam. Guys, for listening. It's awesome. I love that. Having an audience. It's wicked cool. Can't wait to see Black Panther. But I want to consistently be doing shows. I'd love to record a show next Friday before we go to Black Panther. Like that- I was trying to do with first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Preparing for Black Panther. <laughs> but I am really excited about Black Panther. I don't have any Black Panther uh, baggage, though, because I don't know a lot about the character. I saw him in Civil War. But I'm really excited to see this film. It looks awesome. I know Drew McQueenie loved it, but I was like, not going to read his review yet. But I'm excited about that and uh, stuff like that. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. And uh, what are you waiting for? Get out there and watch the Cloverfield, uh, uh, what is it, Paradox? Paradox. Some Altered Carbon uh, and all that kind of stuff. And we'll uh, see you next time. Right, Steven? We will. 
good times. All right, and let's close this out. Later, guys. Holy shit, they actually did a show. My optics did not deceive me. This town needs an enema. Now this is podcasting. podcasting.